So, a man in Illinois, a man in Illinois was getting on a plane from the snow-covered uh, Chicago and was going to go fly for the season to Florida, their, their home in Florida. And he was getting on the plane and, and took off and he was going to meet his wife there the next day. And she was on a business trip. And so he got there and that evening and he checked in and he just thought, I'm going to send an email to my wife. And so he, he wrote the email and he sent it off. Little did he know that he had one letter wrong. One letter wrong in the email address. And so the email actually went to a woman uh, in another state that actually had just lost her husband the day before. So uh, this woman had her whole family in the house because it was only, uh, you know, 24 hours since the, uh, the event and uh, there were condolences coming through the email. And so she was working through her emails, just reading and, you know, that grieving process. And she comes upon this email and screams and faints and passes out. Her, her family rushes in and they're wondering what happened. And they look at this email and here's what it said. Dearest wife, just got checked in. Everything prepared for your arrival tomorrow. <laughs> it said, P.S., it sure is hot down here. <laughs> well, that would have freaked you out, wouldn't it? I never know if some of those are true. They're just really good. So... One letter wrong. Uh, Trish and I, we binged watch Star Trek. She, so we watched the two, the two previous ones to go watch the third one. I'm just confessing uh, for you. Um, no. Anyway, no, we, we watched that together, and so it was fun, and we went and saw the third one. It was great. But I sat there at the end watching credits, and I said to myself, wow. This, for some, will be a two-year journey that we'll sit in a theater, it'll be two hours. And, and that's it, it's done, it's done. Two years of work. And I kept thinking about this morning's message about letters that have been written in the New Testament that had probably have took a long time. And we think about letters today. You type emails, you change the spell, you have spell check, grammar check, you know, probably every kind of checking system possible. Uh, but Back then, there's this, you were writing on scrolls, you were writing on pieces of leather, you were writing a letter, and it wasn't like, oops, I'm going to erase. And they're not just a card, like a greeting card, they're page after page. Your New Testament, 13 of what you call books, are collections of letters. And these letters had profound impact in that season of life in ministry, but also for us today. Think about that. The investment those writers made have had eternal impact still to this day. Uh, one of the things that I, I love, Trisha knows this, but we, we like, I like old religious artifacts, largely Christian artifacts. I don't collect weird religion stuff, but uh, Trisha, on her, one of her trips to uh, Africa, she, she came back and she had handed me this and it was a book of some sorts with writing that looks like either Arabic or Hebrew, but um, 
she, we took it to the St. Norbert, a historian, kind of the, the smart people down there. Um, and they came back and said it's an Ethiopian Psalter. What that meant, if you know much about your Bible, there's a strong, rich history biblically with Ethiopia. And especially in the New Testament where Philip leads the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ. And there's a strong Christian culture there. What they came over years, they would start to do is write, rewrite some of David's Psalms into these what they call Psalters and some of the texts of Scripture. And so this is someone's personal uh, very ancient, very old, uh, Ethiopian Psalter. Letters, letters being written and then rewritten to be reminded. I kind of set that context for this morning because I want you to know as we are in the New Testament now with our 10 series, 13 of the 27 books are letters. They're letters written by people. And they're not small letters, they're not a greeting card, but they are extensive writings to churches and people groups and people. They were real churches, real people, and real problems. And, and really this morning, as I talk through these different letters, we could probably stop and camp there for a whole nother series on any of these letters and say, yeah, you wrote it for Galatia back then, but it makes sense for us today. So you're going to find, I'm going to get captured in this and probably go over and try not to, but it's because these letters are so rich and, and they're so relevant today. So our series has landed us in the New Testament. If you've not watched any of these, I would encourage you. We wanted to kind of lift some of the stigma about reading your Bible and some of the mystery, uh, make it less intimidating, and then actually help you understand the structure of how, how does your Bible, uh, how is it ordered and how is it written? So this morning, just to go through again, Trisha did this last week, but you see the Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then we have this book of Acts that Trisha talked about last week. And really that's a historical launching uh, of, we see Jesus' ascension and then the Holy Spirit's uh, presence now on earth and in us and radically transforming people. And so you have the history of the church and the acts of the Holy Spirit through the disciples. And so we see how Paul is a changed man, again, a, a Christian terrorist, meaning he wasn't Christian, he was terrorizing Christians. And God, in his great sovereignty, decides he's going to choose that one. I want you just to think for a moment right now, in the midst of all that we hear on the news, who do you think is farthest from ever knowing God? Paul, or Saul as his previous name was, probably was one of, he would make your list, as one that probably will never know God. He was a religious Pharisee. He was a radical Pharisee. He was radical to the point of killing people and approving that, pulling them out, throwing them into jail. So Paul, God changes Paul, and his, his life is transformed, and he has this great testimony, and he goes on these missions trips. And we're not just talking about a missions trip to, you know, to Florida, missions trip to somewhere nice. He is traveling to major cities all over the world to bring this great news that's happened in him. It's not that Paul has to talk about something that happened a long time ago with Jesus. 
it's very real and relevant to him because Jesus met him. And that's what these letters represent. And so in his first mission, he writes Galatians. Uh, Bobby will talk next week about uh, the book of James written by the half-brother of Jesus. But the second mission, he writes First and Second Thessalonians. Uh, then he's going to write on his third, First and Second Corinthians, Romans, and Galatians. Uh, his imprisonment, he writes Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians. Philemon is written by Philemon, I believe. Uh, is that right, Bobby? I think so, yeah. Uh, Bobby will tell you next week if that's true or not. Um, Paul's freedom, uh, then he writes uh, Timothy, and then he's going to write, uh, that's it, he's going to write Timothy. And then he's going to write Timothy, the second part of Timothy there. So you see his imprisonment, he's busy. Uh, and then and the church expands, then we find the, the Apostle John writes. I mean, this is important for you to just see the flow of how those letters became a reality. And again, we're not talking about small one-pagers like a love letter. How many of you, by the way, re remembered a love letter? It was a love letter from somebody. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just asked that for just for whatever. I just wanted to know. Um, there's no point to that other than just curious. Uh, Paul's first missionary journey. Uh, look what he's he's doing here. He's he's moving into part of Asia, but I think this is relevant so that you understand. Look at on the far right-hand corner in the bottom by Caesarea and Jerusalem. Now, Jesus is the most uh, impactful uh, part of our Christian story. His life, death, and resurrection and sacrifice for us is, is what shapes our Christian faith in its entirety. But really, his ministry was literally to a small section of the earth reduced most likely to northern area of Galilee, pretty much farm rural towns. Nothing spectacular as far as big city. Jerusalem would have been it, and he was there only sometimes. I say that because then God's going to choose one that's radical that he transforms in Paul, and he is now going to th go throughout the rest of the world in the major cities of the world, major port cities, trade cities, the most secular places on the planet, man, God knows what he's up to. And he sends him through. Even though imprisoned with Roman guards going to Caesar, he's meeting high officials with a great story of transformation. And I'm sure they wanted to know, we got to meet this guy. This guy was a terrorist. He was killing Christians. Now he's, now he's talking about Jesus we got to meet this guy. And this is Paul's ministry as he's launching churches. And this is his first journey. Here's his second journey. Just gives you a little bit of the, the scope back then. It would have taken him uh, a long time, let's just say months and years, to take some of these trips. And then his last journey. So it lands us to a deep finding that we've just, we have had a spiritual discovery in this series that we just wanted to kind of confess and I guess share it with you that writing on these color cards is horrible and you can't write read it right so you're not even laughing at that this is probably the worst color that we could have picked and here we are so with that I apologize write an eight write nine boxes and a line if you can see it um, if you can't see this card it might be that your age is putting you to a point of new glasses and I'm one of them, because I could hardly read this screen, so I just want you to know that. 
Um, right on the top, Paul's letters to churches. And I wrote a phrase underneath there, and I'd just like to explain. Pay attention to how you think and live. Paul is going to write these letters, and much of the language that Paul's going to use throughout his writings are going to be this. Pay attention to what you think about God. Pay attention on how your life is lived out for God. Meaning your behavior matters and what you think about matters. Gosh, could, could we, we probably could finish the rest of the service by just talking about that reality. And what gift we have is that we have a Bible that's filled with what? Encouragement, instruction, correction on how we should think and how we should live. Friends, do not minimize the truth. Do not minimize the scriptures that have been left for us and the Holy Spirit to unlock and enlighten us on, on what God desires for us. And so this morning, I think this hopefully could be an encouragement to you or maybe some direction or even some correction. So I'll go through these books again. I know that this is a lot, but uh, hopefully it whets the appetite for you to dive in. First is the book of Romans, most likely Paul's greatest theological work. It's, it's probably his masterpiece. Now, when we look at the, what was we call the book to the Romans, it's really a letter to the church in Rome. Let's stop for a minute. What does that mean? Was he like addressing this to St. Peter's Basilica? No, because it was, wasn't built yet. But was he writing an address on this letter, right, to, to say, I'm going to send this to a building? No. We say here, this church is not, this building is not a church. You are the church. He would send it with a messenger. Uh, he, he, he was sending this with messengers to go to the people, the Christian people in Rome. So they would hand this letter to someone and say, why don't you read this in your house church as you gather and then pass it to the next group and to the next group. And you could see that became a rich, powerful letter of helping them know how to think and live. And so the book of Romans um, is to Roman Christians. Uh, the letter is largely about the good news of Jesus for all people. I put just a phrase there. It's the gospel explained. Paul does a brilliant job at the gospel. We're, we're going to go over a, a classic passage in there, but you, you know Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, about the wages of sin is death. I mean, th these are... Paul's explaining the, the full picture of what it means to know Jesus. Uh, the second letter this morning is going to go to 1 Corinthians. Now, Corinthians, we're going to look at 1 and 2 Corinthians, actually is four letters. There's multiple letters in there. And so two of those letters are in 1 Corinthians. This letter largely it has to deal with the divided church. Because Corinth is a new church... Um, it was planted by Paul, and then just a few years later, he hears news from a messenger that the church is not doing well. And what he hears is that there's divisions, there's lawsuits between believers, there's sexual sins. There's one whole section, a chapter, where Paul says someone is sleeping with um, his mother-in-law. 
and the church is okay with it. And Paul is calling out and saying, hey, time out. Not good. And, and Paul's going to deal with this young church um, as a lot of the divisions. One of the things that they're pursuing is some of the spiritual gifts. And as a young church, they're, they're beginning to distort the levels. Well, this unpacks kind of the famous passages of Paul talking in 1 Corinthians 12. You are the body of Christ, right? Even though you are individually a certain body part, but you're all connected. He's, he's saying, Paul's saying, listen, you might think that you're individually Christ followers. Yes, you are, but you are, you are brought into a family and you're part of something bigger. Therefore, 1 Corinthians 13, pursue not dividing and separating, but what? Love. Learn to love. There's not a better gift in the church than love. And all the parts matter. Friends, i, I got to say this at the end, but I, I need to say it now and seed this for you. One of the most unbiblical thoughts that is pervasive today in the church is that you can sit in a church and not be connected. That you can sit in the church and operate very isolated you are a part of the body of Christ. Therefore, churches struggle and I think are apathetic and paralyzed largely because there's an idea that I can be Christian and not have to do anything with this group of people. It's why the church, I think, hurts in America because we're largely so influenced by consumerism. Most of us in this church would think, well, this church is not doing it for me anymore. And maybe we've all been there in a place where we go, let's find a new church. When maybe, just maybe, because they weren't back then saying, I don't like the church in Corinth. I think we'll walk 200 miles every Sunday and let's go down to Galatia. Let's go down to Galatia church. Better music, right? You know, better teacher. Friends, this is the church they were in. And so it was Paul is trying to help this young new church say, stop dividing yourself. Be about what we're called to be is people of love. This letter is largely around discipline. It's disciplinary. It's a very harsh letter to this church. Now, 2 Corinthians unfolds this letter about reconciliation and forgiveness. And it's the setting is this new church, but Paul now hears good reports of many of them turning, turning from their sin, becoming more unified as a church body. And Paul's going to say, I'm going to encourage you. And, and he says, and then watch out for false teaching. Now, why is this constantly a theme in the letters? Remember I showed you Paul's journeys? There were people as Paul would go into like a city and start a church. And, and guys, the, the pictures of Paul starting churches is great. There's, there's the book of Ephesians, and that is to a letter to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus, we got to get back to that book, is, I've talked about this before, is probably the most secular and decadent city you could think of. I mean, you may think of cities in our world today that you think are worse. Again, I'm going to make this PG, um, but there were castration services in honor of Artemis the goddess. 
known historical, 5,000 men at one time, to do that in, under her name to worship her. Okay, does that give you enough picture? Do I need to go any further? Okay, so crazy place. Paul, you'll see in Acts, the book of Acts. Trisha talked about this last week a little bit, but he'll walk into a city. Now, this isn't arrogance. It's just a courage and says, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? And he'll find Christians. Do you have the Holy Spirit? And then it says that he took them and he would rent, he rented a facility of some sort and he began to disciple them. It says that in about three years, he changes the whole culture in Ephesus. Now, the mainstay for Ephesus was these, these statues of Artemis, this woman goddess. And if you can imagine woman goddess, adults, again, PG, uh, yeah, the whole goddess thing was going on. So you would travel from la great lands to get there to get one of these statues because she was the goddess of fertility, uh, she would help your, your, your uh, crops grow. All this would change you. Well, people would go travel across the world to get this because they wanted that blessing. So when Paul starts transforming the city and they become Christ followers, they don't need a statue. So now business is starting to hurt. Well, they want to throw Paul. They want to kill Paul. They want, they want to throw out the Christians because they're wrecking business. Think about that. Ephesus is turned around by the gospel message that Paul brings. So Paul is largely going to talk about false teachers because when he plants a church, he'll leave to go to another city to do it again. And now groups of people come in and say, hey, Paul was good, but I want to, I think he's missing a couple pieces. And they would slightly distort the truth. And so Paul would hear reports about different factions coming through and changing what he said and changing, in essence, the gospel. And so Paul says, we can't have any of this. And this is why he warns um, for them to watch for false teachers. Okay, so the next one, Galatians. Galatians, a very direct letter uh, about false teachers. Again, as I just mentioned, now... This is going to introduce to you one of the groups of these false teachers that's common in this season of, of church history called the Judaizers. They were Jews who accepted the claim of Jesus, but wanted to pull in all of the Mosaic law and the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments into it. So here's what they do. They'd show up to a city. Well, and this is a letter to the church of Galatia. And saying, Paul had it right, it is about Jesus, but it's Jesus plus you have to be circumcised. And, oh yeah, by the way, you have to follow the Ten Commandments. Otherwise, you're not saved. Paul refutes this and writes a whole letter about the freedom in Christ and clarifying how are you saved and disproves the Judaizers' claim. Now, again, could we stop here this morning and say how relevant today. How many churches, how many religious cultures say it's Jesus, but you also have to do this. It's Jesus plus this tradition. It's Jesus plus this. And Paul in the book of Galatians, if you just want an encouragement about it's about Jesus, read Galatians. Read that letter. Because Paul is going to encourage them in saying it's not about anything else. Uh, except about Jesus. Um, 
remember the, the passage in Galatians chapter 5. Tricia alluded to that last week, and it said, uh, the fruits of the Spirit. This morning, if you want to know that if you know Jesus, I mean, one of the great claims in this letter to say, you know you're a Christian, not by Jesus plus something, but because Jesus infused your life with the Holy Spirit, and you see what? Fruits of the Holy Spirit. Friends, it's not that we accept Jesus and then we get a to-do list of, I better start working on love, then I'll hit joy, that might give me some peace, then I might be more patient, right? And I think we perceive Christian living as working through a list. But this is the paradox of the scriptures is that we're to make a choice for Christ, but then he chose us and then he infuses us with the Holy Spirit and he changes you where people are going to go, you're different. There's just something different about you. This morning, can I, maybe it's just a, a sob response for you, something just because we're going to do a response, but just think about this. If people and yourself are not recognizing fruit in your life, you might be living religion and not relationship. There, there might be, you might even know Jesus, but you might be blocking the work of the Spirit by the exchange you've done for sin in your life. Paul in Romans 1 will say, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. You know how many times we do that? That's why we sin. We sin because we make an exchange. We say, I'm going to exchange the truth of God for this lie that I know is not true. This morning, Paul gives us this great letter to say, you're free. There's freedom in Christ. There's, there's not a rule list to follow. You're free in Christ, and he is going to transform you. He'll talk about that all throughout his letters. Ephesians is the church of Ephesus. I just talked about them. He's going to tell them to walk in grace. This is a, obviously a very secular city. Um, this is one of his prison letters. Paul's going to write in prison. Paul is an animal. Not only traveling, not only bold, not only writing a ton, but he's going to be in prison and still not play the victim card. How many of us would be like in the victim role of, oh, woe is me, God, what are you doing to me? Paul is like energized and excited. I'm getting punished for Jesus. At least they know I'm loving him, right? And he's, he's writing letters to churches. He writes to Ephesus. And he reminds them that they are part of the family of God. Now, that doesn't mean much to you. And I had to throw this in because I want you to see the insight and the brilliant nature of Paul's writing. Uh, there will be scholars that will write. N.T. Wright just did a massive, it's like a, I don't even know what you call it when it's, when it's that fat, right? When, it's, when, when books get too heavy, like you can't hardly grip them, that's, that's beyond my smarts. But N.T. Wright writes about Paul was a brilliant writer. He writes to the church in Ephesus, and he writes this whole section in Ephesians. And this letter talks about your adopted sons and daughters. You are no longer slaves. Why is that critical? In Ephesus, if Trish and I were living in Ephesus and we were praying for healthy children, we would pray to the goddess Artemis to give us healthy children. Back then, they didn't know what was healthy, but they know visually what they saw. If our kid kids came, uh, came to us and they were missing fingers or toes or were blind, 
we would see that as a non-blessing from Artemis that this child wasn't blessed. There was a hill, a known hill, as I had read in the history books, that they would take these children and set them up on a hill outside of Ephesus, and slave traders would take them. Born into what? Slavery. When Paul says, you are no longer slaves, but you are chosen sons and daughters of the living God. Friends, that had power. Even if you weren't a slave, you knew what that meant. That's, that's the beauty of Paul's writing in many of these letters. Uh, he knows exactly where they're at. He writes right to their, to their context. Uh, let's go on. Philippians, another prison letter. Uh, interesting about this one is Paul's going to be writing in prison, and he's going to talk about finding joy in persecution, finding contentment in the midst of adversity. Molly just shared about this, about the waiting how difficult that is for us. Paul's letter to the church in Philippi is all about, I know you're getting persecuted, and I'm sitting in prison, but can I tell you the great peace found and contentment found from Christ in the midst of those times? It's something very foreign to us, uh, and he's going to write this letter this way uh, to encourage this church, not to reprimand them, but to help them find joy. To help them learn what it means to rejoice. Again, tell me how relevant this is. Doesn't that make sense for us today? To learn that? I mean, we're a spoiled country. And I know things don't look really good right now for our country, right? There's, there, we could probably talk about all the complaints. But in the scope of world history, and in where many countries might be sitting today, we've got it really good. And for us to begin to think about the things that we feel like our persecution or our adversity, are they really? Paul writes a letter in maybe some of the toughest adverse situations to a church that's going through hardships. This might be better written to the church in Syria, right? Or a church somewhere in the Middle East, a group of people that are truly facing the death, the, 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 the possibility of death for their faith. Paul says, you can be content. You can find joy in that. Colossians is another prison letter, and again, written to believers. Uh, it's to stop any of these uh, arguments that are coming from false teachers. He's talking about put on Christ. Put on um, what Christ has given you, and it's we see, again, language where Paul's going to talk about slaves and masters, husbands and wives, all these different roles in culture where there was kind of dominance. And he's going to talk about how do we live in a culture that has these hierarchies and pecking order. And again, Colossians, another great book. Ephesians, he addresses some of those same things. All right, First uh, and Second Thessalonians, the book or the letter written to the church in Thessalonica. New growing believers, again, these are church plants of Paul's. All of these are cities where church, uh, churches have, have gotten the gospel from Paul. And so he's going to talk to new growing believers and talk about them excelling even more in faith, hope, and love. And he's going to talk about living in readiness. Because Paul's going to use this language, the day of the Lord is near. 
And if you, if you read that before where Paul uses these terms where they felt like it's happening now. Well, the interesting read on this in the second Thessalonians letter is that Paul is going to have to help correct a bunch of confused believers because here's what they're doing. They're saying, oh, well, we're in the midst of it right now. So why do anything? I mean, if Jesus is coming back now and we're in the day of the Lord and the judgment is now, then why don't I just don't do anything? And literally, people aren't working. People are not providing for themselves food. They've just stopped. They said, it's, it's meaningless. Let's just not do anything. And Paul's saying, hey, no, no, no. You need to stand firm. You need to continue on. Live in readiness until he comes. But take part. Be, be a part of, of what God's calling you into. He's also going to deal with false doctrine and addresses some of the persecution. Again, many of these churches are going through. Now, I, prison is spelled wrong three times there because Trisha did not find it. And she, that's... Okay, maybe I should backtrack. Um, I misspelled it. And I wanted her to find it, but she didn't. So anyway, so I'll take all the blame for that. How's that, Trisha? <laughs> it was late. So that's a new, unique way to spell prison called prison. So there you go. Um, it just reminds me that I, I'm very, I have to be humble. So there you go. Um, anyway, I want to give you two passages to kind of summarize this whole piece. Romans 12 is the first one. And I want to make three points out of the Romans passage and the Colossians passage. Three observations. First, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul is alluding to the sacrifices made in Leviticus. Paul, Paul is giving a picture, an image, for the new believers there to realize Imagine yourself crawling physically on the altar. He's saying something to them. Your body and your physical life actually matter to the kingdom. Offer that up every day. I know some of you aren't really excited about all this. Like when you say, God, take all this, you're like, really, I got all this? Um, but he is, he's saying. You, are you giving your full physical self? To Christ. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul's saying, listen, the world is going to tell us a way to think. Am I right about that today? The whole world has a way for you to think about what's politically correct, what you should and shouldn't do, what's okay, what's not okay. And our our government right now is is wrestling through, our, our nation is wrestling through. What's ethical? What's not ethical? I mean, you think about all this out there. Paul's saying, listen, you're to give your full physical self to God every day and do not conform to the world's way of thinking. It may think it's right and refined and academic and developed and the Bible is archaic and it's not in context, but friends, this is Paul's reminder that this, the word of God is truth that we can stand on today. It says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Here's the first point. What we think and how we live reflects who we really are. 
what you think about and the thoughts you have about God, your understanding of God, and how you live physically your life for, for God, can we say it a different way? Reflects who's in you. It reflects who's in you. Remember I said, politically, we, we did a whole taboo message on politics. Remember I said, vote with your Bible. And I said, friends, really, do we think we're going to be able to figure this out with issues, with legislation, with all that? We have a great freedom to vote. So I say, go ahead. But shouldn't we think about what's the fruit showing in a life? What is God saying about that? There, there is a, a test that when we start to, to think the right things about God that he's called us to and our lives are lived that way, there'll be a fruit. There'll be something coming out of our lives. And so, friends, we have a choice to decide on, on who, who are we going to get behind. And we don't know everybody. And I don't know the hearts of some of these people. But I think we have to think about that. And, and not for everyone else, but more importantly this morning, for you. Who's in you? How do you think and live for God? Second part of that says, uh, for by grace given to me, Paul didn't attain it. It was given to him. He says that grace, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. You see, God gave you the ability to have faith in him. Unbelievable reality to think about that. You're not super smart in this room. None of us are. That God captured us and he, he both gave us a choice, but he both chose us. And it says, just as if we have one body with many members, these members do not have the same function. So in Christ, though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Here's the second point. Our spiritual life is bound to others who are in the family of God. Remember I said earlier, this is maybe one of the most destructive non-biblical thoughts in Christian faith today that I can be a Christian and not a part of the church that's a lie you are an adopted son and daughter of the family of God therefore we belong to each other we're family and how about an amen for how messy that is right and how painful and how family offends each other and how there's just so much junk in family. And maybe, just maybe, in God's strategic plan, he knew we'd have to live in conflict with one another, just maybe because he knew it's what it took to change us. Because maybe we have to face our own pride or stubbornness or impatience or lack of gentleness. And how would we ever know that in solitude? in being an individual Christian. You know that, friends, when you begin to mix it up with your church and not sitting on Sunday, but you sit in a group or a community of people and they start to say, man, I'm not seeing that fruit in your life. Or let's take the positive. They start to affirm the fruit in your life. Friends, you need the church. Our spiritual life is bound to church. Paul is telling Letter after letter to church to church saying, you're a part of the family of God. Colossians, last section here. Once you were alienated from God, we were enemies. You were, and were enemies in your minds because of the evil behavior. 
But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Again, Paul's saying, listen, it's not about you. You didn't do anything to deserve this. Jesus did it. He says, if you continue in your faith, establish and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. He, he's saying, hold on to hope. Romans 12, he'll say at 12, 12, he'll say about this hope that you hold on to. He says, this gospel, this is the gospel that you've heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, become a servant. I, I want to make a last point. We are to hold on to what we know is truth from God within us. Let me explain that. At age seven, I did not know much about the Bible or God. I can tell you to this day at 52, I had a moment where God opened my eyes about him. I still believe it. I still hold on to that. I still hold on to that hope. Friends, it doesn't mean an intellectual idea about God or you can prove or disprove all the realities of science and God and philosophy. It just means he gave you a moment at which you have a hope. He says, hold on to it. Paul's saying, hold on to that. He did something to you. You hold on to that. Don't let go of it. Don't be convinced by distorted teaching in another direction. What's our response this morning is we're, we're led by our team again to to, to communion. Maybe the question for us is, what's your hope? These letters were letters of Paul reminding them and bringing them back to the hope that is within you. I don't know where you're at this morning. Molly suggested some of you might be in a waiting period. Some of you might even be in a dry spell in your spiritual journey. You might be struggling with sin. I don't know where that is this morning, but, but the church was to gather, and it says, take communion. And when you do this, what's the word he says? Remember. Remember what? Remember me, Jesus says. Remember the hope. That's the hope, friends. The hope isn't that we can fix ourselves tomorrow. The hope isn't that we're going to have th the right government situation to fix our, our country tomorrow. The hope isn't that we defeat terrorists and so everything's fixed. Friends, evil is here to stay until Jesus returns. But we have a hope that evil doesn't have to have a power over us anymore. That is hope. Father in heaven, we pray this morning for the hope that is within us. God, may we, we hold on to it. May we cherish it. May we, we not lose sight of what's been given. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.